0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah! Twenty-five
1: hundred shows. What do you have to say? Well, I'll tell you what I have to say.
0: Eat your heart out, Selene! <laughs>
1: exemplified this spirit of compassion and kindness. I have never had a teacher like that before.
0: She was murdered our senior year, and it's always haunted many people in the community. Our mission, we were driven to find out who hurt Sister Kathy. People pop up from 45, 50 years ago who say,
1: I have a story I'd like to tell you. Hi, this is Candy Minx in Chicago. For the
2: agency. And, and uh, Eugene Nabok in Toronto <laughs> for episode 101 of that's the right. agency podcast.
1: Right. I realized maybe you should have started that because I thought you might want to do one of your snazzy intros. Sorry about uh, that. I, I,
2: I just didn't have a snazzy intro all right. uh,
1: in me all right. today. Okay. Sorry. So we'll just start with that.
2: That They're like special occasion <laughs> intros.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Uh, how's your weather down there?
2: Uh, Up it there. rained. Well, it rained most of this morning. Oh
1: okay which is great for the garden i I mean
2: you just have to stand back and watch the garden explode right now it's crazy
1: Um, it's it's boiling hot here Uh, it did rain i guess yesterday for a few minutes and speaking of garden we had jennifer arnott on a couple of weeks ago and she said she ties up her zucchini plant with something and for the life of me i can't remember what that was
2: do you happen to remember I, I don't I don't recall. Okay. I remember that she, she said that she grows them vertically. Yeah, so I'm she trying. she ties them up along, I don't know if it's a fence or what, so that the zucchinis will hang down as they yeah. grow, and it, and it takes up less overall space.
1: I might have to contact her on Instagram because uh, she said something like, I tie them gently with blank. I guess I could play it back. <laughs> I just can't remember now what it was because these zucchini plants I planted, two of them in a pot are getting really quite rather large well they do that mm-hmm. that's right And did you try...
2: about august 20th i think is uh is international drop off your excess zucchinis on your neighbor's right, porch day
1: right okay good did you try growing any arugula you were talking about that a couple of weeks ago too I and they had those worms on had them or the, fle-
2: the flea beetle problem mm-hmm. i haven't tried arugula um i do have swiss chard going and my swiss chard has uh this year and last year as well, an early season problem, it gets some kind of blight on some of the leaves, like they turn brown. Um, and last year that happened until the weather got really hot. And after that, all the, the new growth was fine.
1: Right, it burnt off the bugs or something.
2: I don't know, I don't know what it is. Fungus or whatever, uh, so hopefully uh, uh, the Swiss chard will be fine.
1: Right. Everything else any, is
2: growing fantastic.
1: Good. I didn't grow any arugula, but I did look up some home remedies to fight off bugs. It was something like alcohol and water, like a tablespoon of rubbing alcohol in the water, but I never planted arugula, so I didn't write down the recipe or anything. <sighs> Should anybody want to, because that's always something you can, sometimes. I don't know how good or bad that is to do something like that. Uh, yeah. So I'm, we're really enjoying sitting outside with the plants we got after being inspired by that episode and um, you know we've been having coffee outside today steak was reading really out there for like two hours nice yeah so it's, that's in behind your apartment yeah it's like the fire escape but it's just a little bit a very generous fire escape wood deck I um see. that was remember when we were doing the podcast before they're tearing off the back of the house yes well that's the deck that they built back there it's a big wooden fire escape and it's got enough room it's probably about six feet seven feet deep i've got a little rug out there and some plants and a couple of camp chairs
2: very nice <laughs> and some cut some
1: candles tea lights and stuff it's real cute it's
2: everything you need mm-hmm. um and it takes
1: them up a storm and you know i've had a reading block but I'm I, Sorry, I hope you weren't going to go off onto a different tangent, but I also have been reading outside, and I've been trying to read, and I've been having a real struggle with books. However, that hasn't stopped me from getting books. <laughs> <laughs> My reading blog hasn't stopped me from aspiring to be a reader, and I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I got Brad Fraser, a Canadian playwright Brad Fraser's memoir called All the Rage, and I think the only thing I said about it was that I really liked the title because the title told me about the twenties because I imagine that phrase, like, Oh, all the rage, something like your grandmother might say, or somebody a flapper might say, right. And that it tied also into the fact that you kind of get this hint. There's going to be some anger in this, in his life, mm-hmm. you know, some violence yes. or something. I'm telling you, it has turned out to be a page turner. It's, I can't even stop. It's like the best thing for a reading block ever. <laughs> Excellent. It's super exciting. It's super juicy, it's super Canadian, and it's super artistic. How could you lose? And, um, you know, the word rage uh, comes from Latin for rabies. And so there's this weird Mm. feeling, too, of um, the usage got changed into rage. And I think the first time all the rage was said was 1785. Actually, it was not the 1920s. The rage was used to say, like, torpor or trend or whatever. And um, the thing that's funny about the rabies is because there's a subtle emergence right now in the, in the memoir of, of course, AIDS. You know, the yeah. rumors are out there of some kind of uh, illness or virus. So I just thought, wow, that's like three different things because Brad represents to me um, someone who has survived uh, in some ways when it comes to AIDS, uh, a loss of a generation of many of, of my friends and people I looked up to who taught me about art and culture and they knew everything about pop culture. They knew everything about Grace Kelly, Liza Minnelli to, you know, particle accelerators. They just were, um, these guys were just such um, culture vultures and um, they bridged eras. And so I like that title because it seems to bridge some eras of of some people we lost that weren't able to do that anymore, you know, where there was like a vacuum in pop culture knowledge in the uh, 90s. So it's a great book. I can't recommend it enough. He also says something, he articulates something about an object made in Canada, about Canada for Canadians. And I just was really, you know, tweaked by that. Mm -hmm. Um, His plays are very Canadian and they're also universal and they're also queer friendly and female friendly and they've got horror and juicy tidbits in it. Anyway, I recommend this book beyond belief. You must read it. Brad all Freezer. the Rage
2: by Brad Fraser. Yeah. It's
1: so good, Eugene. I just can't recommend it enough to you. And it's also, you know, there's a lot in 1981, 1982 through the eighties in Toronto. So he's got all the clubs. I, I used to go to except for a couple of the boy clubs, uh, Charlie's up on young street. I didn't go in there. Um, but the barn, uh, Epicure, of course. And just, he mentions things in your, and theater, pass where I, uh, but he's in good, in bad times. It's just so yeah. fantastic, right? It's so good. Excellent. And yeah. I didn't realize, I knew he was from Edmonton, but I didn't realize he had lived on um, the, the Highway of Tears between Prince Rupert and Prince George. And he also lived in Smithers, BC. So he has this kind of sensibility that is familiar to me when mm-hmm. he talks about school and these really rough um Frontier towns, really nothing much more than like these really weird towns and the violence and squalor that he grew up in and that he self describes as that, uh, reminded me of my good friend Murdoch Burnett, the poet, who also came up in Alberta, and um, a little bit older than us, but uh, definitely had some similar aesthetic vibes to it. Anyway, there's my book review for today.
2: Okay, well that that's a hearty recommendation.
1: Oh my God. I also have, (laughs) because, you know, I think I'm a reader again. Okay, Okay. so a friend of mine is in the hospital who I was interviewing in Miami recently. Yes. And I called my other friend, Marty, in Memphis to see if he had any other information for me or just to check in with him. We've been talking a couple of times since I've been to Memphis, actually, Um, just coincidentally. And we got into quite a big conversation, and he recommended a book called The American Plague. And I was like, what the hell? And it's the untold story of Yellow Fever, the epidemic that shaped our history. It's written in ni- 2009, and it's about, um, I think it's seven, uh, 1880, there was a yellow fever that wiped out all of Memphis. Wow. So I'm pretty interested in it. It's quite interesting because it's um, it's got so much of that history from the South. It seems to have um, a tie in with slavery and its final chapter one of the last chapters in it again is that it will happen again and Mm. you know that's kind of chilling when you think of what we've been through in the last two years and
2: and the author of the american plague
1: it is molly caldwell crosby and it's really lovely um i i i I jumped ahead to a couple of chapters and um just to see how the vibe was and i feel like i'm going to be able to get into it too I, i guess i just really need something juicy (laughs) okay thank you for all the sex and violence Brad Frazier if you happen to hear this podcast (laughs) Um, yeah just what I needed what are you doing
2: well the the question has come up uh, is there life after Mayor of Easttown oh
1: yeah because we've
2: seen it all (laughs) and I don't know if there's going to be more
1: no Uh, I don't think so apparently
2: uh uh kate winslet when asked has said that she'd be happy to play the character again okay but i don't think there's any plans okay um however um we followed one of the actors
1: oh yeah she's a favorite of mine too
2: and that's gene smart who played um uh the mother yep uh, in town. Uh she is starring in a series called Hacks. Yes, along with Hannah Einbinder, mm-hmm. and we are loving this series. It's
1: wonderful. Uh, Steg and I watched the first episode this morning.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's really it's a dark <laughs> comedy. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's about uh, a a comedian who is like the queen of Las Vegas who has done. A zillion shows uh-huh. and she's her career is uh is maybe on its way down uh maybe her material isn't as fresh as it used to be uh maybe they want to take some of her dates away and so she's been had a residency forever there and um her manager suggests she take on a writer and yes. her manager also happens to manage a writer who <laughs> uh needs work yes so neither of these characters want anything to do with one another. Right. And they're thrust together. Uh, and it's really quite fantastic. You know, it's fantastic on the strength of really, really good writing and fabulous acting.
1: Fabulous acting and um, angry women. That's obviously that's on trend right now. You've got Mayor of Easttown, which is the summation of an angry woman. And now we've moved into Hacks. And Hacks is funny. There's some great banter in it. Um, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, man, these two are going to be so interesting if they just go at each other. And they did. It was wonderful. Uh, the clothing is amazing. The set design is incredible. Uh, Las Vegas looks like Las Vegas. They haven't tried to make it look good. They've made it look what the Las Vegas I love with all its, <laughs> you know, with all its, messy advertisements uh potential for disaster and that idea of of, of magic and glamour and and Gene Smart is playing what's her name Debbie Vance Deborah, Deborah Vance. Vance and she is not she's written 30,000 jokes there's somebody else in comedy who is female and wrote 30,000 jokes too and also is considered nasty and old and I was a has been and that was Joan Rivers.
2: Joan Rivers. Yes yeah. and it's it's pretty clear that they were thinking some about uh, yeah. Joan Rivers when they created this character.
1: And the clothing. The clothing is great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the clothing is fantastic yeah. and um and she's got this she's got a daughter who she knows is hiring Photographers
1: to take bad photos of her mother to right. sell to like TMZ. Right. It's right. hilarious. <laughs> yeah It's a little bit like um, Postcards from the Edge, married to Behind the Cat- Candelabra.
2: <laughs> you know what else it reminded me what? of is the 2019 film Late Night with Emma Thompson and Mindy. Absolutely. I,
1: I said the same thing, which I love that movie. Oh my God, that was yes. a fantastic movie. And uh, I think this is going to be a huge success if it isn't already. Uh, I de- I can't imagine there won't be more seasons because there's so much they could do with this.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, and, um, and I love It's, it. it's
2: character-driven, which is y- yep. what yep. makes it really interesting. Yep. Yep. Totally. You know, the the uh, the writer is uh, she's a, there's a generation difference, and the the writer is entitled, and <laughs> um, she feels at first that that she just doesn't want anything to do with this has been comedian um but she changes her attitude some and she sees some of the um uh, some of the delight in uh in the gene smart characters the deborah vance comedy yes
1: yeah. <laughs> I can imagine it's going to get really good. I can't wait to watch the other episodes. I just yeah. love it.
2: So it's an odd couple kind of relationship yes. as, yes, a, as the basis of it. Set in Las Vegas where anything can happen.
1: Uh-huh. Um, and there is... It's kind of dark. Yeah. I can it's see kind, that it's going to yeah. go there. I mean, it, it isn't dark on the first episode, but I can see that there could be some trouble ahead for these two. I could see them getting into some serious trouble with each other. They're pissed. They're not... They're sick of it. (laughs) I could see it being like falling down or something. The Michael Douglas scandal movie in the 90s. Ah.
2: Yeah. Well, so far, we've watched a few episodes uh, last night, and we really enjoyed them. So we're looking forward to seeing all that's available. I don't know how much they've made so far. Is it one season?
1: Yes. Eight episodes.
2: Eight episodes? Yep. Okay. Well, we've seen seen a few of those already. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think there's going to be eight episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool.
2: So we've been enjoying that. And, uh, oh, in other news, we got our second jab the other day.
1: Oh, good for you. That's great. How'd you feel?
2: Uh, well, I felt perfectly fine. She, mm. I had no issue with it at all. Uh, Sheila um, had some fever overnight. and Right. Um, and then she was up for a while and then slept for a, a chunk of the next day. And I, I think she's okay now. Mm.
1: Well, you know a little bit of what I've been hearing and I talked about this last week that I might need a third shot. actually maybe everybody will need a third shot um, because they might want a mix yearly it, shot a yearly shot they might want to mix this up a bit with other that you won't do I, I maybe I won't be doing more journal again. I'll be using a different one. It's gonna be like a little bit about what we learned about speaking of AIDS was we learned about AZT and 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 cocktails that help ward off virus. Um, you know basically, AIDS was a death sentence pretty much when you first got it. Now people are able to live with it. And so I think maybe they might be mixing up some of these vaccines for us. You know, in the future, you might be assigned a different one in the future.
2: Yes, and certainly here, mixing and matching is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're saying that people who have had the AstraZeneca as first shot, I think, can choose what to do for the second shot. Okay. So I don't know what the right thing is. I don't either. Uh, I, you know, I haven't been uh, been uh, keeping up with my epidemiology career <laughs> lately, so I, I really don't know. Right, but um, you know uh, what I am seeing here is that the number of cases is declining fairly rapidly. Good.
1: Um,
2: from a month ago, it was up like a couple of thousand, and now <sighs> it's down to a few hundred. Good. So um, I think that the. Uh, more and more people getting vaccinated is really having its effect. So hopefully yeah. uh, we can resume some normalcy soon.
1: I'm a little bit um, apprehensive about the next couple of weeks. Uh, basically, we are Chicago, and I don't know if it's the whole United States, but Chicago is opening up 100% on Friday. So restaurants wow. are going to normal on Friday. Uh, they can have full seating, etc. People are not wearing masks. Obviously, the staff is um, because We're afraid, but I'm sure some staff will choose not to to wear their masks. So I'm curious to see how numbers change or if the variant spreads or whatever. So that's something on the horizon. But, you know, hopefully we have enough people vaccinated. Definitely more than half of the people in Illinois are vaccinated. Uh, Certainly in Chicago, it's probably a much higher ratio than that in Chicago vaccinated. Uh, Yeah. Hey, we've got some merch.
2: All right. Tell us about it.
1: We have... some black baseball caps. I heard a request that we needed some black baseball caps. Um, we have flash sets and we have mugs. And I've posted them on social media so you can get an idea of what they look like and how much they cost. And you can, uh, you know, message me and uh, we'll figure it out. I'll do maybe $5 for shipping and handling or something like that. But message me if you're interested in one. If you're interested in some handmade postcards, why don't you write us at the agency.podcast And that's my phone ringing.
2: The ADC.podcast uh, at gmail.com. Thank you.
1: Yes. And, and if, tell uh, us if, if you send
2: us an email, tell us anything, complain, yep. uh, recommend whatever, something. Whatever, give us some ideas, recommend, uh, pitch ideas, anything you like. And uh, uh, Candy just might send you a postcard.
1: I certainly will. I might send you a couple, not just one. I'll send you at least three. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Um, it shows how desperate we are for email. We did not have any email this week. I checked oh, and no. we do not have any. I checked just before I called you, Eugene, and we do not have any. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> hey, big Frida Kahlo show coming to um, the suburbs here. 26 pieces.
2: The suburbs.
1: I think the suburbs of Illinois or of Chicago. Hmm. I, I, some art center in the suburbs is hosting 30 Frida Kahlo pieces or something. So I'm going to try and go in a couple of days. Right.
2: Yeah. I haven't been to an art show in so long. I know. I, I can't even remember hardly what that experience is about. Right.
1: I know. Well, you might be going to one next week, right? Shelley's? Well, if, um. I might go too. Are you think you're going to be in town? Well, I'm trying to go after the 21st. That's the, what? Well, that's what I'm hearing is the 21st. Okay. <laughs> but we don't know because it has to be legit right? So the 21st well, yeah, is still I, like two weeks away.
2: Yeah, I know things are opening up. I don't know what's happening with the border. Hopefully soon.
1: Okay. Yeah, hopefully soon. So that's what I'm looking at. Any cooking?
2: Hmm. I've been dehydrating.
1: <laughs> what, have you, what else have you done that's new of dehydration?
2: Well, um, I did strawberries the other day, uh, and strawberries, well, not as yummy dehydrated as pineapple, um, make a pretty nice snack. They're pretty tasty. Mm. You dry them right till they're just about crunchy, you know, leathery and crunchy, so they're chewy and and taste like strawberries. Nice. So I did some of those, and uh, I'm going to do some more fruit coming up, but right now I have some Roma tomatoes in the dehydrator. Oh, so I've done I've done uh, red peppers, hot peppers or hot chilies, uh, onions, garlic, mm-hmm. and mushrooms, mm-hmm. and now tomatoes. And I'm going to make sort of vegetable packs so I can add more nutrition to a pasta or to uh, ramen or some other kind of soup for a, a camping meal. Right. So this is all about uh, a canoe trip coming up in, in August with my buddy East Texas Red. I mentioned it before. Uh, it looks like we're going to be allowed to camp, so we're going to Quetico Provincial Park.
1: Sounds amazing. I love
2: it. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it. It'll yeah, be really, will that be really dependent to, uh, on anything?
1: And- it doesn't have to be like, it, 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 that's a pretty minimal, low contact tact activity depending on whatever happens right
2: we're not going to see anybody out there Mm. like we if we may see some people go by in a canoe across the lake but that's going to be it right like there's just wilderness really right so uh, i think that's about as safe an activity as you (laughs) can imagine
1: probably is (laughs) hey i'm going to recommend a restaurant for anybody listening in chicago um, I've been going there for a while. It's called Sky, but I really never really ate there. Um, I've been really getting. What have you been into-
2: doing when you when you went there? If you had cocktails,
1: they had really good cocktails, and I did okay. have a, a warm mushroom salad. That was kind of why I would go there, have a cocktail, and have a warm mushroom salad. Um, okay. But we kind of explored the menu recently, and um, I really recommended it. It's at twelve thirty nine West Eighteenth. If you're a little bit of a foodie or not you just want to try something different they have things like warm asparagus salad lobster dumplings um truffle potatoes puffed potato dump uh like these potatoes are whipped up with truffle oil and then deep fried somehow or braised they're really good Mm. um they have an incredible chicken dinner with creamed corn of all things um done like southwest style southern style but um elevated it has a little bit of you know what i'm talking about that frat boy uh aesthetic i keep talking about when you're really broke like my my friend jenny and i we ate some pretty bad food but we didn't really know how to cook very well like macaroni and ketchup (laughs) when you're not sure what to do with food when you're younger and you just combine all kinds of things and sometimes that doesn't work for me it's like i didn't need to eat uh, that I didn't need to eat that combo, but, um, I think it's probably the best food I've eaten in, in, in ages. If forget about the pandemic, I'd say like, if it wasn't a pandemic, it's some of the best food I've eaten in the last couple of years, even though I don't want to count the pandemic before the pandemic. Okay. Okay. All right. And then I had this cocktail that was made with Douglas fir.
2: Douglas fir.
1: Yeah. Oh, At okay. first I was like, I can't like, do this. Does have
2: wood chips in it?
1: Kind of. It kind of does. So it says that it's um, gin, Douglas fir, sour cherry, or tart cherry in their phraseology, and black pepper. And I was like, it just doesn't sound good. Is it like Jägermeister? And the server they- said, no, it's not like Jägermeister. It's more like pine. And I said, well, that's not really working for me either. So but it's like turpentine. I had
2: like to, or I had had to seen order
1: that. it. I had to order it. It's nothing like either of those. I thought it was going to be like red Cena too. I guess you can. Um, so I had to look up what is this Douglas fir liqueur, and you can order it online, but you could also make it with a handful of pine needles from the Douglas fir tree. I see. <laughs> you soak them in booze for a few hours, and then had sift uh, put them through a coffee filter and half a cup of simple syrup. So um, that may be my next um, thing I'm making. Okay. Yeah. But um I I see that you could actually buy it like a bitters. Um I like a liqueur flavoring. And it was delicious.
2: You could buy Douglas for uh uh-huh. liqueur, really. Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. I
2: had no um, idea. Yeah,
1: and I don't know if it has any liquor in it, but I guess because it says liqueur it must. It's oh, yeah. Gonna, it's gotta ferment it somehow. So I haven't seen if the local stores have it or not, but it I was pretty intrigued and it tasted amazing. So this was something different. If you want something different, I, I recommend SKY. They've been there for a few years. They have a new restaurant now called Apollinaire, and it's Mediterranean food in Chicago. Um, and since we're opening to 100%, I suppose everybody will be going to restaurants now.
2: I think some people will be going just because they haven't been out in such a long time.
1: I think that's what we're seeing. It's like a madhouse. It's insanity. <laughs> um, down the street, the restaurants that I've been working at on and off for a number of years have the patio closed every friday saturday and sunday all last summer and now and i mean the restaurants can barely handle it they're handling it but it's it's pretty intense because <laughs> everybody wants to go out and see other people sure yeah and that's that's yeah that. i can't i can't
2: remember the last time i ate out at a restaurant you know yeah.
1: that's crazy huh
2: you know, we, we get takeout um, usually once a week. We try right. to support a local place yeah, if we can.
1: Yeah. And you you guys eat out? You guys probably eat out more than steak and I do, actually, mm-hmm. normally.
2: Once in a while. Not very often, really. Not,
1: the, not that often? Okay. No. Yeah. No, not very often at all. Do you know that Americans eat out about twice as much as Canadians? And they'll do takeout twice a week and eat out at restaurants twice a week okay yeah now I think some neighborhoods in Toronto are have that kind of rigorous um, customer attendance but it, I don't consider that really a a Canadian lifestyle you know you know eating something from a restaurant four times a week so oh, I like can't even lot. imagine that yeah I know I know but uh, apparently it is much more common in the States I, I you know read a survey on it <laughs> I didn't Google it I read a survey
2: Well, you know, I'm trying to think now what the last restaurant was that I I was out at. (laughs) And I I can't even
1: tell you. Was it in Vietnam?
2: Oh, you know, it might have been.
1: Yeah. It might have been.
2: It it could very well be that I haven't been out to a restaurant since I got back from Vietnam, which was um, a year ago, February.
1: I know. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. Good thing I got lots of that out of my system. Yes. You know, I was. uh, Go ahead.
1: Would you consider going to a coffee shop? I mean, I know that they're not open. Patio? Are patios open at all, or is it just dead closed, just takeout?
2: Right I think now? patios are opening very, very soon okay. here. Okay, all right. But they, I think Friday they open. Yeah,
1: okay, all
2: right. That'll um, be would very I, interesting. Are you asking, would I go to a coffee shop here?
1: Yes, yes. Well, and sit on the patio?
2: I normally don't go out to coffee shops here. Normally, oh. coffee is something that happens at home. okay. Here, um, yeah. although when I was in Vietnam, I was at coffee shops every day, <laughs> but but there was no at home, right? My home was yes. a hotel room. Sure, sure. Uh, and sure. Uh, uh, in That's Hanoi, good. the coffee shops, which kind of spill out onto the sidewalks, uh, are a great way to watch the city
1: um, unfold. Definitely, and you know, Steg and I love to go to a coffee shop and just sit there. One time when we were in Toronto, I think there was. Oh, it must have been we met Suzanne. I think we were at a coffee shop for something like six hours. I mean they really should have kicked us out. But um <laughs> sometimes it's just nice to have a coffee. Have another one get a get a snack. Or know, what about sitting and drawing go- in your sketchbook? Drawing in a sketchbook, reading a magazine in a coffee shop that is heaven to me. Hmm.
2: I know some people who meet up at a coffee shop or at least pre pandemic right. did, they would meet up in the morning, every morning. I know, I so like that. seven in the morning. And I thought that that was kind of a nice thing to yeah. do. Yeah. You Kind of before you go off to the work a day world, right. you touch base with your friends, which is really yeah. a lovely idea.
1: Yeah,
2: But well, it isn't something that I, I've really got into because, um, you know, Sheila and I really enjoy having our coffee at home in the morning. Right. We have our tea. morning rituals we yeah. go through. Yeah. And I don't really think, oh, I want to go out somewhere.
1: Right. Right. Well, I mean, I've been known to have coffee in the afternoon. <laughs> well, at a I diner have, or something with French fries.
2: I have iced coffee going right now there here by my microphone.
1: And I've got tea. I'm trying to think if I cooked anything at all interesting this week. I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I don't even know where this week went. I'm, I'm having one of those weeks where because Chicago is opening up and people are doing more, I feel like I am more prone to get busier. Um, I'm I'm overhauling our apartment, by the way. I'm throwing things out. I did do this about, I think I did it about a year ago and I'm, I'm going back in you're, again.
2: You're not doing the, the Marie Kondo routine, are you?
1: No, I'm just getting rid of things I'm not using. Okay. And if it's a book that I don't really love, I'm giving it away donating it putting it in mm-hmm. a book bank or passing it on to someone in the neighborhood
0: sure. and
1: just i've got a lot of pieces of paper a lot of things that i've got a couple of paintings i didn't finish that i was going to give to someone so i'm finishing those one's a wedding gift and i'm just motivating myself to get that stuff up and out of the building so that's where i'm at that's what i've been All doing right. and, it, and it makes for then i i've got to run some errands to kind of deal with those things you know what i mean uh, to give away some things, I had to go get something and put it all into one package to drive across the city that that kind of thing that's it so um, we've both um, been lucky enough to have a guest on our show this week.
2: Yes, yes, we have a guest uh, an old an old friend through the blog world um, right. but but also someone who uh, is extremely knowledgeable about a subject we've been talking about recently.
1: That's right. And so we're going to move it over to talking to her right now. Makes sense? Makes sense. All right.
2: Candy and I have been watching Sons of Sam on Netflix, and we've been discussing it in recent episodes. And our top secret informants have said that we better contact S.M. Elliot immediately. And so we've done it. Sarah so
1: is here with it. us. Sarah, so good it. to have you on the show. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, great. It's the first time I've heard your voice. It is, yes. We've known and each other through the blogosphere for years. but For realized. years. I mean, I'm almost afraid to say. It's looking like it's about 15 years. Can you believe it?
0: I was going to say the same. At, at least 15, yeah.
1: And I have met one of your friends in real life, Nick. And I met her husband and, and kids. We went out for dinner one time back in, I'm going to say, 2010.
0: Isn't that funny? Yeah. So that's yeah. a decade ago now. It's a long
1: time ago. It sure is. Wow. And,
0: and you've we, always... We met
2: in, in Edmonton. I don't even know what year. I was out there doing Christmas television for Canada Post in the <laughs> middle of a, a four-day <laughs> snowstorm um, when it was 40 below, which is like normal in
0: Edmonton, the, right? The worst time to be in Edmonton. But, All you know, right. you were a trooper, so... Right.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I was in Edmonton since we've been blogging, but I'm, we were at a casino because my father was very ill, he passed away of ALS, and his wow. hospital was in Edmonton. But I was unable to meet you or Karen because um, I couldn't go downtown. It would have depended on on you guys coming out to see me. And I did yeah. talk to Karen, one of our other blog friends, and um, you know, it just didn't work out. But maybe one of these days we will meet in person.
0: Well, I, you know, I'm in Chicago whenever I can be. So. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Listen, so I'm kind of excited to have you on here. You seem to be a bit of a a maverick and an expert on this. Uh, We're watching Sons of Sam, and I wanted to watch it because at first, it's basically about a serial killer, but it turns out that it's also about a journalist. And I found that part of the story absolutely as fascinating as I did about the... um, the Berkowitz aspect of things in New York City in the 70s and I had um we probably all watched the movie Zodiac so I found it a little bit like that and then I also saw a documentary called Deadline Artists about Breslin and Hamill and that was a very compelling they were peers to this guy Maury Terry who's in the new net yes the new Netflix documentary called Sons of Sam um maybe Eugene do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've seen at the show Well, first of all, I should say
2: that my intention was to finish (laughs) watching the episode. Yes. But last night, our Wi Fi crapped out. Right. And I've spent all morning with Bell and Apple trying to get it back. Right. And, uh, uh, right. I have enough Wi-Fi that I can connect my phone, but not enough Wi-Fi to stream. And I think there's a conspiracy involved.
0: <laughs> to keep I'm you not sure watching. what it is. Well, I thought
2: maybe the Kennedys, the grassy knoll, I don't know. Right. You know, I'll
0: tell you there is a, there are conspiracies, especially with Wi-Fi. But um, I I kind of feel like the universe was working in my favor with the Son of Sam Sons oh. of Sam documentary because. Um, I'd been researching this topic for years. I read the book Ultimate Evil by Maury Terry many, many years ago. I picked it up almost on a whim at a used bookstore.
1: Right.
0: And, uh, so I'd looked into this many, many times and kind of dipped in and, you know, tried to find out what was current and I'd always kept tabs on it, but it wasn't even as a blogger who kind of specializes in conspiracy theories and, uh, hoaxes and, and literary forgery and things that are kind of on the fringe of society or used mm-hmm. to be on the fringe, um, it really wasn't a good, timely topic at any time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not.
0: Because this was a 30-year-old book, a 50-year-old crime. Like, right. this was just something that was just so, not 50, more like 40, but right. it was just so, so out of people's minds. Right. So I thought, this really isn't good material, Right. Right. And then one day, sitting down, watching Netflix, and it does that, Apple TV does that cool little auto peek into each show as you uh-huh. skim past them. Yes. And I accidentally skim past the <laughs> new the new film by Josh Seaman, the, the docu-series. Right. And didn't know what it was and didn't see the title. And all of a sudden, Maury Terry flashes mm. up on my TV screen, Larger Than Life. And I recognized him instantly. Oh, I watched wow. so many interviews with him. I'd. <laughs> Followed, tracked him relentlessly for years, and he's dead, of course. But yes. um, when I saw it, I just thought, <gasps> I was elated. <laughs> I thought, yeah. this is my hour. This is my time. You know, yeah. I finally get to talk about this stuff. Right. So well, was- there's,
1: there's two other things that happen, and, and one of them is another reason why um, we're talking to you today, is that I, I was watching, and at first I was reluctant. I don't like a conspiracy, you know, one that's not true. It's yeah. a theory that seems like it's going to be a dead end. In my world, moral panic or satanic panic arises during um, social stress and turmoil in cultures. So I'll just look at it like that way. Um, yeah. Like the optimum, that was right around the crash. The, the housing market crash was going to happen and, and, and you know, maybe women's rights were in turmoil. So I, I, I tend to look at things like that. But it's funny, so... I I went back to it because I realized, okay, this journalist is pretty interesting. And I fell asleep watching the show. And at some point in my sleep, I heard them say, Melanie Haler and Roy Radden. And Mm -hmm. it woke me up. I was like, what the fuck? Because you recommended a book to us that both Eugene and I read called The Cotton Club Murders. Yes. And so now... I had to rewind the whole series and start over again (laughs) and find out what the
0: hell did the Cotton Club murders
1: end up in this documentary.
0: That is the fun thing, not the fun thing, but that's the fascinating thing about this docu-series and about the case in general is that it's really not so much a rabbit hole (laughs) as a whole series of rabbit holes. Yeah. And you can fall into any one of those. And in some, you're going to break your leg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In others, you might find some really fascinating things um now personally i don't and i i know that a lot of people feel this way because i have kind of kept tabs i'm sort of a lurker and i keep tabs Mm -hmm. on the the independent research community that has sprung up around maury terry's work and the ultimate evil Mm -hmm. and um yeah people follow a lot of dead ends but they do find some really interesting material too and uh going back to this idea though that um that, you know, they emerge in times of crisis, these stories. I think that's very true, but there's also a very interesting thing that has really helped me in my research with Satanic Panic, Mm -hmm. and that is the notion brought forward by Martin Bergman in his book, I have my copy here, it's called In the Shadow of Moloch. Mm -hmm. And Martin Bergman probably isn't very well known these days, if he's known for anything, it was that he had a very small part in the film Crimes and Misdemeanors. Mm He was the subject of the documentary that the Woody Allen character is making in the film. So it was like a film within a film. Mm. And, uh, but he was a doctor in his own right, um, or a celebrity in his own right, I should say, because he was a professor of psychology at New York University. So he published this amazing book, In the Shadow of Moloch, and it's about, the subtitle is actually, and this is a little dark, uh, The Sacrifice of Children and Its Impact on Western Religions. Wow. But it's really about so much more than that. (laughs) Because it's really about the sacrifice of children in Western religion and its impact on all of us, whether you're coming at this from a secular view or not. Now he takes a very Freudian view, which is Uh really interesting, but uh, Bergman delves into the idea that we all kind of, we all know the history of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we all know the roots of it and how, uh, you know, some pre-Christian civilizations were said to sacrifice their children to Moloch or to other gods, strange gods, right? Okay. And um, I didn't know
1: that, but I'm I'm following you.
0: Well, it's all kind of everything that's in the Bible, right? Like the, okay. Like the, the, the first part of the Bible.
1: Okay, gotcha. <laughs> the, like, like the mother has to choose God. which son to kill kind of a thing?
0: Exactly. Okay, and yeah. And we, we sort of have that collective anxiety and guilt associated with those events. Even if we don't really believe that they literally happened, we still have internalized so much of the early Bible, the Old Testament kind of judgmental okay. God, God that could come to us at any time and say, I want you to do that again. I want you to go back to those dark days of sacrificing for me. As
2: as well, I, I think we can't forget that right now we're also grappling with um, an issue in which over 200 children um bodies of over 200 children have been found at a residential school run by the catholic church
0: precisely these are things things that come up again and again for us and it's not something that we can suppress um it's just going to come out spontaneously and i think things like the satanic panic or things like the recent discovery at the kamloops school um they trigger all these anxieties and fears and emotions and uh, sometimes we we keep it to ourselves. We let it affect us personally. But at other times, we spread it out into the world. It's Folklorists would call it ostension You know, we're bringing folklore yes. out into yes. reality. We perform it in a way.
1: Right, because I would say my thought was um, Hansel and Gretel. Yes. You know, there's child sacrifice right there. You know, yes. I guess I'm going to look at this in, in, in the way I'm, I see it. Is What became fascinating to me about the story is that it's not... For me, it's not the Satan part. It is the human trafficking part. The idea that there's some kind of human trafficking that is happening in micro-communities. It's a micro-sex trafficking communities. And it's, it comes up in the keepers. Where you, you're talking about the children in the Canadian school, mm-hmm. uh, Catholic school. And then I don't know if you've seen the keepers. I did, yeah. Yeah, I, it's really one of the most astounding. I, I started watching it when we were, I've re watched it last night and a couple of days ago because I knew we were talking about this. And that you find out that not only were priests abusing these girls in school, they were abusing the confessional to find out. They had found out that an uncle had confessed to molesting, molesting his niece. So they target that niece in the school and bring her in and recruit her because she's already been recruited by her family
0: to be yes. a uh, to be a human trafficking or in a pedophile ring and, and we do see that people being re-victimized. re-victimized like traffickers kind of understand who's vulnerable correct you
1: know? they could recognize the predators can recognize a weaker uh, you know, a vulnerable person and it also happened I don't know if you've seen tell me who I am also on Netflix right now about I these twins have- oh my god it's it's really amazing and it's about two twins and in England and one of them has a motorcycle accident when he's 18 and forgets his memory. So his brother said, Oh my God, he doesn't remember his past. I'm not going to tell him. And then you go on a journey to find out what, why did he tell him about his childhood? Wow. And um, it's, uh, I, I recommend it. It's very emotional. And then, you know, so a lot of this, I might've been more hesitant if Epstein hadn't come up, the keepers and this documentary, there's a, Um, A lot of things that show me that behind this Sons of Sam, maybe you can tell us what you're seeing.
0: Yeah, Uh, well, human trafficking, I mean, as we all know, very real, very, something that's gone on forever, I think. And um, the thing is, though, that I think with cases like the Son of Sam, um, and there is a really interesting connection here because some people have continued Maury Terry's research just online uh these are not journalists or investigators for the most part they're just private citizens who are interested and they want to dig further into the case and see if they can unearth something and uh, right now there's a a man who's very active on youtube by the name of manny grossman and uh, he's a new yorker Mm -hmm. who's been making a series of videos about the history of the cult that you see in this the, the docu-series on netflix right and um of course that cult was identified by Terry as the Process Church of the Final Judgment which right. is uh, kind of open to question not everybody accepts his interpretation of what yeah. the cult was right the theory that even Terry was starting to develop at the end of his life he died in 2015 was mm. that the cult was actually um the cult that committed the son of sam murder supposedly mm. was actually sort of a convergence of the process and a smaller Yonkers-based cult, like a homegrown cult, Mm -hmm. that had been around since probably right after World War II. So um, some of the theories that are emerging about this cult now through Grossman's research and through the research of other people online is that uh, these kids who grew up in Yonkers together in the 40s and 50s, like the Carr brothers mentioned in, uh, in in the series, were all molested by the same boy scout leaders oh, wow. and that this is something that i don't really know where they're going with right, this. right so you know an ongoing like investigation i guess you could call it but i don't know that there's any solid evidence for any of okay. this but this is what they're looking into right now okay right so the trafficking does definitely come into it and of course terry believed that there was narco trafficking and human trafficking and child trafficking and child, all kinds of terrible things yes. happening with this cult, um, which would surprise me if the process was involved. Okay. <laughs> I would be absolutely stunned if they okay. were involved because the process for one thing had ceased to exist in its, in the form that it, it was originally in around 1973. Okay. And it was in New York. They, and they did, they were kind of working out of Westchester County, which plays a pretty big role, and they were working out of Manhattan, but um, they were kind of falling apart at that time. The two leaders of the, uh, the group, and I will call it a cult, not because they were spooky and they had a very edgy image, but I'm not going to call them a cult in the sense that they were necessarily doing the things we associate with satanic cults, right? I don't think that they were sacrificing animals or they loved animals. They ended up setting an animal sanctuary uh, up in, in, uh, where is it, Um, Utah, I believe, which is still in existence and has saved thousands of animals over the years. So I don't think that they were necessarily this this extremely spooky cult, right? But they, they were cultish. And the leaders used a lot of the very old-school cult tactics, like sleep deprivation, right. uh, making people go out into the streets and panhandle. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of part of the reason they fell apart, because they started to get a lot of competition. The Moonies were also out there panhandling. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, the Hare Krishnas were out there panhandling. The squeegee like, kids. The squeegee <laughs> kids, exactly. You had a lot of squeegee oh,
1: kids were later though. Oh I know. But I was trying to say got our <laughs> kid punks and stuff starting up and yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's always there's always somebody, right? Yeah. So you, you can't always you can't you might be on top for a little while. And the process was kind of at the top of its game in the late sixties, early seventies. But by seventy-three, the two leaders of the group, uh, the Marianne de Grimston and her husband Robert de Grimston they kind of parted ways like right. the and they went and to Toronto
1: that's funny too because they did that, yeah yeah,
0: yes. um, they did
1: help, help me understand what is the what is he really trying to say is he trying to say that there was one overreaching organization because I want to go back to the fact that I think it was my the creepy people find creepy people
0: yes. and
1: <laughs> there's this, this crossover intersectionality of creeps um, with, Floating around and finding each other anyway in New York City at clubs or on the street, um, and Los Angeles, right? And involved with obviously young actors and and, and photography models. Mm -hmm. But what's his? What do you think is the over
0: the, the the uber
1: argument on this?
0: I think what Terry was trying to do was link many many different crimes or series of crimes throughout the entire country. He brought so many different crimes into it. We've already discussed the Cotton Club murder, but he also brought in a lot of unsolved murders from the West Coast, the East Coast, the Midwest, the North Dakota area. Mm -hmm. Um, He really tried to make it into a. He did try to make it into an overarching, you know, this is a mega cult. Right, right. (laughs) These guys have an empire. Yes. And sometimes just for funsies they will have, they will commit a string of atrocious murders like the Zodiac killings, like the Son of Sam murders. This is where he and I go completely separate ways on Son of Sam, because I do not believe, looking at the way that David Berkowitz behaved, his prior crimes, which aren't really discussed very much Mm. these days, um, Mm. because he did start out before the Son of Sam killings with lesser crimes, Mm. arsons, Mm -hmm. a couple of stabbings in the co-op city area of the Bronx um he was you know not a great guy and i don't i'm not really sure where i'm at with the car the car brothers or the car family but i kind of suspect that he really was just the kind of person who when he moved to his neighborhood in the in in Yonkers um kind of just spied on his neighbors oh. and started to harass them oh. There's a right. long history. He moved into the area a couple of years before um, the killings began, the Son of Sam mm-hmm. shootings began. Mm-hmm. And he was already harassing all of his neighbors. I'm oh, talking Molotov cocktails through windows. Um, That's harassment.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I would say that certainly is. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Yeah, he was harassing letters, threatening mail. Um, and I don't think he says now that this was all just his way of. Um, Setting himself up as the fall guy for a crime. Right.
1: Yeah, and maybe to get attention and.
0: I don't just... really accept it. Okay. I don't. I don't accept it. I reject it because I. I think he fits what the profile of what we would now probably call an incel.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I was thinking that too. Yeah, oh, I, I. I. I said the same thing the other morning when I was telling stag about the thing I said listen he's like the first incel what we would call that you know what I sure. thought was weird though is that sh- I always thought it was weird that shooting in a car I guess it was because it was so easy it was so lazy almost like to shoot couples yeah. making out know, but it was weird yeah. that there were the car brothers
0: yes because it was, that was is like
1: this car. a motif was he like was he associating that with them if mm. it was him you know I just thought
0: that was weird it is very weird. And, you know, I don't think we'll ever know if he, the Carr brothers are both dead, of course, so right. why don't we don't know if he ever did know them, like, on a personal level. It's very possible that he did. I mean, they were neighbors. I think he may have chatted with one or both of the Carr brothers, or maybe with their sister, Wheat, or maybe with their parents. Um, right. We really don't know. Berkowitz has not been very forthcoming about these things, but he was very forthcoming with a psychiatrist who examined him to see if he was fit for trial. Mm. Uh, He was a Norwegian-born fellow by the name of Dr. David Abrahamson. Mm -hmm. Now, he wrote a book about Berkowitz, which I have on order. I I haven't actually read it yet. But he wrote a series of very revealing letters um, just on his own time. He wasn't compelled to do so, but I think he liked confiding in Abrahamson. (laughs) And he wrote in some of his letters, um, and this is where the incel thing comes in. He wrote to him things like, yeah, you know, I wanted to fake demonic possession. I just wanted to see if it would work Mm. as a defense. (laughs) Right. And he also said, you know, if I'd been able to have any kind of sex I wanted, and if I'd been able to participate in orgies, I would not have killed people.
1: Right. Now, that's not an incel. It really is. You know?
0: (laughs) I mean, we really need to call a spade a spade here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very difficult to see him as anything other than someone who was very frustrated and angry. Yes. And, and he had a whole history of that.
1: And then the, the, the way it was, he must have really enjoyed all the sensational newspaper stories oh, and putting the city into fear.
0: Loved you know, it. And not
1: I'm, necessarily every serial killer is like that.
0: No, some are very, they either let, want to get it off their chest right away yeah. like a bomber. Yes. Or yeah. they, they want to just retreat into prison and just not yeah. talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Berkowitz has been a little of both. Yeah. He likes to keep to himself for years at a time, but then he will come out big and strong and make really, you know, explosive statements. Yes. I think what happened with Terry is that he came onto the scene, he had suspicions about this crime not being committed by just mm-hmm. one person, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is understandable because the sketches didn't really, they weren't great, right? No, they, they weren't. They did not look like each other <laughs> so i could understand that yeah. but he's kind of got pulled into the whole cult angle a little too quickly
1: yeah i think so and i think you know what the tragic part of this is is that monetizing journalism because yeah. a lot of it is that he really wanted to be a big journalist yeah, he, he wanted the, big,
2: he the big story for sure yeah and
1: you know but the I, guy
0: yeah. oh, go ahead what he, I found interesting was that he wanted to be a journalist so badly. And he was to a degree, right? I, he absolutely. Write the absolutely. He couldn't really make it as big as he wanted to. He couldn't break into broadcast journalism. Nope. And I nope. think he was almost using, you see this in the documentary series, where he's almost using real journalists as proxies. Yeah. Like, you Definitely. know, he has to attach himself yes. to a real journalist. Yeah. And eventually that didn't work anymore.
1: Right. Uh, you know, I think that the other sad part is he, listen, I understand that he wanted to be successful. I, 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 I have compassion for that. I yes. think it's a very interesting viewpoint into paparazzi and the tabloid yes. and what we would call that kind of journalism. And they interview a fellow, I forgot his name, Warren. And he is actually who Robert Downey Jr. built his character. Of the journalist in natural born killers on Oh, really? yeah so I just think that there's so many interesting things in the documentary that and he was friends with Maury Terry and there it's almost like they're there it's almost like the scientist that wants their cure and they, they bring their own theory into it too much and yeah. so in a way Maury Terry he was right I do believe there's micro sex trafficking he just, and there is some kind of crossover between Ron Sisman, the Cotton Club murders, and then Ron Sisman's murder. So I see why he got into it. But yeah. I think it was more the idea of this, these creepy people are out there being creepy together and they run into each other at nightclubs. Yep. And they're preying on the yeah. same targets. And, and then people also cultivate when you have something like there's money to be made in, in some of these things because you're, What's is that a pun?
2: Cult- is "cultivate" a pun?
1: No, no. Um, <laughs> okay. I didn't mean it to be. But Manson was basically a pimp in many, yes. many ways. Even though they were the family, that lived together. They were they were trafficking women. he no, he's literally a pimp for his literally. For literally years, he so. literally was. So there's this crossover, and the the in in one of these stories, uh, like the, the the keepers, they're cultivating this. Culture and there's obviously some kind of money or reward or trade-off case of wine, something is being bartered in these situations, um, because that's human nature. You don't have to see it. We know what people do. Um, yes. we, yeah. So I don't know. So what's your overall feeling of the, of the of what you've researched and and what does it mean to you? Is it is it damaging to what you are interested in to have that kind of confusion?
0: I don't think it is. I think it's very natural uh, to have because there's a lot of information here right um, especially in a thing like like Terry's research um, you're hitting on so many different things you are hitting on genuine he probably did uncover some genuine cult activity that was happening in Yonkers maybe at a low level or something like that and he probably did stumble upon uh, you know some very shady things that were happening in California I think that he probably came upon a lot of legitimate information um, where he kind of failed as a journalist or an attempted journalist was in his use of uh, in, like prison informants, um, right. sketchy people who would just walk up to him on the street and say, oh, hey, you're Maury Terry. Let me tell you a mm-hmm. story, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he wasn't he he had journalistic standards, but he didn't always hew to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did get into the the tabloid sensationalism aspect of all this. But the bottom line with this, and I think the reason that I've stuck with this particular case so long is that, um, in the end, it does kind of do some disservice. I'm, I'm sure you noticed in the docu-series that one of Son of Sam, one of Berkowitz's victims,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, was helping Terry with his research. Yes. Like he firmly believed Berkowitz yes. did not shoot me. Yes. So here's a man who was shot in the head by David Berkowitz, who says, "I I think Berkowitz is off the hook with me. Right. He was there, but he didn't really shoot me. Right. And he actually, I read a, a book that that Carl De Naro, um, this victim, actually published uh, last year.
2: Pretty, pretty compelling when it comes to the victim. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it it is, but." Um, at the end of the day, though, he doesn't, Carl De Niro doesn't, he's been researching this thing his whole life, you know, basically mm-hmm. since he was shot. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any more information that Terry ended up with. Yeah. And that's the bottom line is that this investigation went in so many different directions and hit on so many different uh, crimes that were possibly, probably unrelated. I think a lot of the things Terry uncovered and linked to the crime were probably not had nothing to do with it. He even tried to bring the death of Lisa Steinberg into this in the eighties. Oh, 80s. right. That's a little. I don't know, girl, if, right? a I don't girl. know if you remember, but uh, a little girl in school. Yes, she yes. was a little yep. girl who was yep. unofficially adopted by a lawyer yep. in Manhattan and his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and died of neglect and abuse. And yep. this was in nineteen eighty-seven. Yep. It was right around the time that maury Terry published his book and hit his first big wave of publicity. It was kind of his right. peak year, right?
1: Well, Maury Terry was right that there are some very depraved, sick, horrible people in the world. That is yes. true. They don't I need think... to work together. They no, seem to do exactly. perfectly well on their own.
0: That's the <laughs> thing is, um, yeah. especially with a, with a, something like a, a Joel Steinberg and a Hedda Nussbaum. I mean, these were people who were practically hermits by that time. They right. were heavily addicted to crack cocaine or they were freebasing cocaine. Um, I don't think they were really hanging out. I don't think they had time to hang out with a the cult. They were pretty right. busy with their own Um the other, just, <laughs> the other disservice
1: is that it leads this idea that you're going to recognize bad people because they're conspiring together. And the problem is that's not necessarily how uh, victims... You're not helping victims or potential victims or vulnerable uh, people in society, when you, you make it think like, look, there's a grand theme here. No, it really right. could be that you don't still walk down in alleys because you still don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, You still don't trust somebody to take your photo in their house when you don't know them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bottom line is that, you know, like you say, these things are happening. Uh, tra- trafficking is happening. Serial yeah. crimes are happening. Mm-hmm. And whether the the players are connected or not, on a big or a small scale is almost irrelevant on some level, because Mm -hmm. you're still, you still have victims. It's still a a social problem Mm -hmm. that we have to address. And whether or not, you know, this guy in California was hooked up with this guy in North Dakota, it almost doesn't matter, you know, and I think very interesting though. It is interesting, and yeah. David Berkowitz played this brilliantly. Sure, yeah. I think what he would do is he would scan the headlines. He would look for sensational stories that appealed to him, mm-hmm. and I then he so would, too. and then he would call up Terry and say, "Hey, I know who did this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was friends with them. I hung out with them in New And in that way, they did have something in common. They yes. were
1: hungry for fame and attention. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Last year, I was sort of blown away when the Arliss Perry case was finally resolved.
1: Really? I didn't know it was resolved.
0: Yes. Yeah, it was. So this was a girl who was killed at the Stanford Memorial Chapel Yes. Yes. uh, back in 74, I believe. So this was a couple years before the son of Sam Killings. Mm -hmm. The Berkowitz hinted to Maury Terry that this was another crime committed by his cult. Right. um, That they wanted to sacrifice an innocent for trying to convert one of their members when she lived in North Dakota. Um, Really fascinating backstory here because Arliss Perry of course was murdered when she was only 19 years old. She was not a student at Stanford University but she was there with her husband Bruce. Now Bruce went on to become quite a famous uh, psychiatrist and he actually works um, mostly with children and he wrote a fascinating book called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog oh which i would highly recommend uh he talks about his work with abused children he worked with children who came out of uh the mount carmel compound during the waco siege oh um he worked with children in gilmer texas who said that they had been abused by a satanic cult (laughs) which turned out not to be the case that was a satanic panic
1: right
0: right so there's all these interesting connections there but Mm. anyway um arliss perry was killed in in 74 at stanford and it always kind of looked like the security guard was a little bit guilty okay because she was in this chapel late at night Uh right before closing the security guard steve crawford was supposed to lock up that night he was supposed to check the chapel in the middle of the night at least once he was supposed to do a walkthrough of the sanctuary and the entire chapel make sure all the doors were locked that was part of his beat right that was part of his Mm -hmm. job he says he did all those things but somehow he didn't notice Arliss's body right <laughs> in That's, the sanctuary. That is a clue. A <laughs> Little weird, right? Yeah, Little strange. So you, you wouldn't notice that on your on your routine uh, walkthrough. So I always kind of thought, yeah, I don't I don't like this guy. I don't, this doesn't look good. Okay. Well, sure enough, uh, DNA did lead back wow. to him, and he was caught um. at the very end of the the ultimate evil series mm-hmm. on netflix mm-hmm. you will see footage uh, just a few few seconds of footage of police attempting to arrest the elderly steve crawford
1: wow
0: you know almost 40 years over 40 yep. years yep. after the crime yep. he was very old by that time um he locked himself into his apartment <clears throat> the police were trying to get him to come out and he said yes yes i'm coming i'll be at the door in a second and then there's a shot and he had killed himself in the apartment. Oh, so he knew they were closing in. Yep. He knew that was kind of the end. Yep. So it was. it's so great to see a resolution of that, but this was such a central part of Maury Terry's book. He right. actually opens the book with the murder of Oh, Hunter. really? Oh, wow. That's how important the case was to Very him. Very interesting, yep. And he it did. totally unrelated, right?
2: Yep. yep. As, uh, Sarah, I understand you're working on a blog series. Uh, related to this can you tell our listeners (laughs) about what you're working on and a little bit about your blog so they can find it
0: yes so uh for many years i've had a blog called swallowing the camel which um examines hoaxes conspiracy theories kind of deconstructs all of this you know modern mythology that we deal with every day uh for a long time i concentrated on uh, alex jones and You know, just all this stuff that's out there that you might be curious about, but you don't really have time to look into it. I try mm-hmm. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the person who takes the, you know, wastes my time doing right, that. Right, right,
1: right, <laughs>
0: Um, What I'd like to do with this blog series that I'm working on is the, ult- I call it, and some fans of Mori Terry might not like to hear it, but I, I call it the ultimate takedown of the ultimate evil. Good.
1: Good. I love it. And we can find that blog under Swallowing the Camel. Is that yes, correct? It does. And you're going to start publishing those um, posts soon?
0: Uh, yeah. So Good. in the month of June, I'll be, be rolling out a series All on right. that. And it's going to focus mostly on the book, not so much on the docu-series, although there'll be some elements of that. Very cool. And when when you're ready to uh, publish...
1: Up-
2: if, if you let us know uh, we'll uh, we'll give you a little publicity on mm-hmm. our Facebook site
1: that's right and at this point okay. I think we um, are about to wrap up our time is up well, and it's, it's been great amazing to- oh it's been amazing talking to you
0: it's been great speaking to you guys thanks so much for the opportunity I've been wanting to talk about this for so long you're, okay. you're welcome
2: to join us on the agency anytime anytime
0: anytime next scary let's let's
1: next time we get together let's do it again <laughs> okay Okay,
0: thanks so much, guys. Okay, bye-bye.